Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today we have a very special guest with us. His name is Tim Wu, a wildly innovative producer, artist, and songwriter fusing melodic electronic dance music with pop, blues, rock, and other genres. Elefante, American musical artist Tim Wu, is living what many people might call the American dream. As a son of Taiwanese immigrants, his Asian-American upbringing in Michigan was unique and sometimes isolating. He graduated from Harvard University and entered corporate America at a top global consultant firm and hated it. So he addressed his unhappiness, the elephant in the room, and pursued his passion in music. To date, he's garnered hundreds of millions of streams across his two indie EPs, I Am the Elefante, a nine-track exploration of progressive house, synth pop and trap, and Glass Mansion, which shot to number one on iTunes, U.S. Dance Chart. His upcoming project, Heavy Glow, represents his first full-length studio album, a largely solo effort further pushing the boundaries of dance music, featuring the debut single, High Water. Elefante has headlined two sold-out national tours, played nightlife residencies, including those at Hard Rock and Wynn Las Vegas, and appeared at major music festivals such as Lollapalooza, EDC Las Vegas, and Electric Zoo. And this just in, we just got word that Tim is now an officially and fully signed 88 Rising artist. So congratulations and welcome to the show, Tim. Wow, thank you. That was quite the intro. Uh, Do you want to write my Wikipedia page for me? That was that was excellent. (laughs) Tim, how's it feel hearing that list of accomplishment in your intro and seeing how far you come? You know, it's amazing. Shout out to you. And we want to hop right into it. The first question, tell us about your yourself and your upbringing. Thank you guys. Um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, in, in music, you're, you're always kind of looking for the next thing. Right. And so it, you know, it feels, uh, I haven't thought, thought about a lot of that stuff, but it, you know, when you put it like that, it, it feels pretty nice. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> Growing up, I had a pretty typical uh, Asian American upbringing. Uh, my parents um, immigrated to the U.S. from Taiwan. I grew up in Michigan in Ann Arbor. Um, growing up, I was, you know, I did a lot of the, you know, stereotypical Asian American things. I played tennis. Uh, I did a lot of academic stuff, but I was also classically trained in piano, as uh, Asian parents are. Uh, want to do my brother got uh took the violin so i was on piano um but yeah that was kind of you know i I grew up and school is very important um like everyone but uh for me uh music was always kind of the thing that i was doing on my own i uh started playing guitar in middle school and um uh, started writing songs around then. And, um, my idol was John Mayer. And so I was, you know, I learned, like I learned guitar too, uh, by learning how to play continuum and like red hot chili peppers and shit like that. And 
yeah, it was, uh, I always loved music and it was the kind of thing that I would always just make time for. Um, but I think looking back now, it's, it, there was really like a hole or like a mental block where uh, growing up Asian American, becoming a musician isn't a thing, right? It's not like a, it's not an option, right? You, you go, you go to college and you become a doctor, you become a lawyer, you get a job, whatever. Um, you get something stable and you start a family and like, that's your life path. And, uh, you know, that's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame in that. And I, I spent most of my early life kind of going down that path, but then music was always this thing that was on the back of my mind. And it was the thing that even in college, um, you know, I would, I would make time for, and I would, you know, miss like skip class to go work on music and, um, you know, skip out on parties with my friends. And uh, I was managing the campus studio and it was, I was just, you know, I dragged my friends out to shitty open mics and it was like, it was always just this thing in retrospect. It was so obvious that it was my passion. It was the thing I wanted to do, but part of me didn't really believe it was possible. And, uh, it wasn't until after I graduated and got a, you know, very stable, well-respected job and was really unhappy that I was finally like, look, man, I gotta, I gotta give this music thing a shot or else I'm never going to forgive myself. So I took the leap and, you know, it was one of the scariest things I've ever done. And, uh, you know, I was lucky that things worked out and I'm here now. Yeah. I mean, shout out to you, man. It's a lot of people never take that jump and a lot of people are still very unhappy with their job still. And the fact that you realize that at an early age and be like, Hey, I'm going to regret it or not be happy if I don't pursue it. I mean, that's, that's awesome. And I think it's a common theme too, with a lot of artists that we have in the podcast. It's like the first prerequisite that are that before we pursue our passions that we have to graduate college and then get a job and then realize that we hate it. Right. I think that's such an Asian thing to do to satisfy the requirement of our, of our parents. It's like, no, nah, Hey, look, look, mom, I finished college. If I fail, I, I still have my degree. I can, I can go for it. Right. And that's like the culture thing I realized in our podcast too, where it's like, when you listen to other podcasts, they're like, Oh, I dropped out after high school and dropped out middle college, start pursuing my, my passions. But for most Asian, Asian American artists and actresses and actors, they had to finish college first and then pursue their dreams. Yeah. I mean, the parental pressure is definitely part of it, but I think it's just broadly the entire culture that you're raised in, right? It's this, uh, growing up, there wasn't any, there wasn't anyone who looked like me who's doing the things I wanted to do. Right. And I think there's a big, like sort of subconscious, uh, message that comes through, right. Where it's like every Asian person that, you know, that's older is, you know, a doctor or a lawyer or some kind of professional, like works in a restaurant, whatever. They're like a business owner. They're all these sort of stereotypes. And I think when you're growing up, at least when I was growing up, that was, that was just the dominant conversation. There was no, uh, you know, we had Jackie Chan, right. He was like the one guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we had, um, um, John Cho. Right. But then he was like, and he was like the goofy guy in Harold and Kumar. Right. And mm -hmm. it, it was never like, there's no like cool, like, you know, ever all, all the like Asian entertainers were kind of like goofy or funny or like the, the nerd on the TV show or whatever. And there wasn't, um, it wasn't until, you know, the last few years where the mm -hmm. representation really took off. And I think 
I'm excited for the next generation of like young Asian creatives to mm-hmm. see that it is possible. Like you can do it. This is a thing that you, your story is worth telling mm-hmm. uh, and your experiences are just as valid as, you know, any other Americans. And um, I'm just excited to see what, what happens with these, all, all these young kids now. Yeah, we definitely agree with you. And thank you so much for being one of the, one of the new pioneers coming up for our generation to see, you know, we all look up to you and, you know, you know, leaving your, your comfortable job and hopping to basically entrepreneurship and hustling for yourself is extremely scary. What was going through your mind? Like the first day, first week, and what was your first win like before you realized that, Hey, like I never had to come back to my full-time job that I can actually pursue my passions full-time. Right. Cause that's, that's the most difficult thing. Cause when you leave your constant paranoia, you're like, how am I going to pay the bills? You're looking at your friends who have nice stable jobs. You're like, God damn it. That looks pretty awesome actually but then I'm not happy. I'm not coming back. Right. So what was your first day like in your first week and your first win? Like, um, that's, I mean, that's a great question because they are very different. They're very far apart. Um, I think the first day I quit my job, it was simultaneously terrifying. Um, but it was also like the most liberating feeling. I feel like I finally took the first step to becoming the person I wanted to be. And that was really exciting. Um, on the other hand, when you, when you're starting off, I think anyone who's going into any kind of entrepreneurship, you you almost need this completely irrational narcissism, psychotic belief in yourself that you're going to make it happen. Um, and I know I had that. Uh, I, I remember one of the things that kind of took me over the edges. I had gotten my first offer to do an official remix that would go on Beatport. And I was getting paid zero dollars, but I was like, I'm going to be on Beatport. I'm going to be on iTunes. Like, this is it. Like, I'm, I'm ready. Like, you know, a year from now, I'm going to be a Vici. Um, and spoiler alert, it's not how it works. <laughs> um, and you know, the, I, the next, uh, 18 months was basically me just sitting in my room, uh, working on remixes and trying and like putting music out every two or three weeks and having everything put out, like no one cared, right? Like get 500 plays on SoundCloud, get, you know, I remember the first time I got a thousand plays on SoundCloud. I was like, Oh my God. And then the first time you get 10,000. Right. And it was, you know, it was just, there's progress, but it was so slow. Right. And it goes up and down and up and down. And you're, you're putting everything you have into everything you're making. And after every single song I'd put out, I'd be like, I don't know, this is literally the best I can possibly do. I don't know how I can possibly get better than this. And inevitably it like would do it may it may or may not have done better um than the previous but it was like by no means was i had i made it right it was still just like uh i'm still just fighting for my life um and that was just like i was making no money and i was just like living off savings for a year and a half and then uh i got I was like getting pretty, I was like, towards the end, I was getting pretty down. I was like, I don't know if this is going to work out for me. Right. Like I've been doing, this has been my entire life. And 
like I'm still making no money. And then, uh, I, you know, I was pretty close to the breaking point and then I put out a couple of remixes that finally popped and, um, they got big on hype machine, which was the blog aggregator back in, uh, the mid 2010s, uh, early 2010s and like got my first like few million hits on SoundCloud. And this was kind of at the time where, uh, Dan EDM and dance music was kind of popping off and uh, I signed with my agent uh, to go on tour and they started putting me on shows. And that was the, that was maybe the first time where I thought I had a shot and I was like, Oh, I'm like, gonna I can actually make money doing this. Um, but you know, there, there are always levels to it where you're like, even now I'm still like, well, I, you know, the music industry is so uncertain and there's never a moment where you're like, I am good. Um, and, the moments where you do feel like that, like something, the, the world will, the universe will put you back in your place. Um, so it was, you know, there are ups and downs where there's a point where I thought I was going to drop by my agency, um, where the music I was putting out wasn't doing very well. And then, you know, I think the first moment, the first real moment, well, the, there was a moment where Galantis, who I'm a huge fan of, and I looked up to them, they played my, one of my remixes for them at Ultra. And I was like, okay, this is like pretty fucking dope. But then that happens. That's amazing. You feel great about it. And then like two weeks later, you realize that your life hasn't really changed. And you're like, okay, well, I guess maybe that's not it. But I think the, the first real one was um, when I heard people singing a song of mine at a show. That was like a, okay, I'm doing something that, is resonating with fans. Um, and I'm certainly, I know means like no means all sad. Like I was still living, you know, show to show. Um, but I was like, well, maybe I have a, you know, maybe this can turn into a thing. Yeah. Man, that, that's awesome. Uh, your story just gave me goosebumps because I, I, every entrepreneur story is difficult. And, you know, the fact that you're so, open with us and sharing your struggles. It's most of the time we look at you and then when your team emailed us, we're just like, Oh my God, like Elefante, it's so cool to have you on the show, you know, but like hearing your, your struggles years and years and years, you know, it's, it's, this is like pre TikTok days. So I have to say like distribution is much, much more difficult back then. <laughs> so shout out to you for not quitting. Um, yeah, I mean, this is way, this is like barely into Facebook time. Like Instagram didn't even exist when I first started. Um, Spotify didn't really exist. Uh, it was still all SoundCloud and, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, that's a big thing. Whenever people ask me, do I have any advice? And it, that's a hard question for a couple of reasons because times change, right? The, the, the industry is always shifting. If you, the way I came up, you, no one would ever be able to mimic that path anymore. It's just the world doesn't, the, the infrastructure doesn't work that way anymore. Um, but that, so you're going to have to kind of just figure it out yourself. Um, no one can tell you how to do it, but at the same time there, it, it sounds kind of simple, but you either, I always like my motto is you either make it or you quit. So just don't quit. Um, and I was very lucky that it happened for me and the time that it did, it was like, you know, a couple of years, um, 
but you know, for other people, it, it can be a lot longer than that. But at the end of the day, everyone has to grind for their, to, to get their foot in the door. And, you know, there's no, there's no real tangible plan that'll specific actions that you can take that'll get you there. You just kind of have to keep banging on the door until it opens. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone's journey is going to look a little bit different. And like Brian said, your story gave me a lot of chills too, because, you know, when you were feeling your lowest of the lows, how a lot of entrepreneurs feel when they're like running out of money and running out of runway, some people never get out of that hump, right? Like you really have to keep grinding and keep going until you see the light at the end of the tunnel. And even when you do, you know, like your story, it just goes to show you just have to keep hustling. Even when you've reached like a highlight, right? You just have to keep grinding it out. Um, and then going back to, you know, how you mentioned your parents kind of putting you into piano lessons and your brother into violin lessons. A lot of our Asian parents, they, you know, put us into music lessons to kind of teach us discipline. Right. But mm -hmm. and then a lot of us, we want to get out of those lessons. Right. But for you, music kind of stuck with you. So what did your parents think about you quitting your job, your corporate job and then going into music full time? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, my parents were ultimately very supportive. Um, it was a tricky conversation. Um, my mom knew very much how miserable I was. Um, I think for her, the math was like, well, he's really unhappy at his job. He's got to try something else. Like, you know, he's got to figure it out. Um, but it's funny when I, when I told my mom, she was like, that's fine. I support you. Um, but just don't tell your dad yet. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I just, you know, we kind of had this charade of where he would ask me how my job was going. I just be like, good. And then we wouldn't talk about it anymore. And, um, but, uh, at that point in my life, there's like nothing really my parents could tell me, you know, it was like, this is something I have to do for myself. And that obviously was, uh, you know, a difficult thing to kind of a big mental barrier to get over. But when I look back at that time, it, it doesn't feel like a choice. It was like there, it, it was, it wasn't like an odd, like, Oh, do I stay or do I go? It was like, well, I'm just, I'm just not staying. So like, it, it didn't even feel like a decision. Um, so, and then it was like, well, given that, um, you know, I have to make my parents see somehow, but I think a lot of it was ultimately that they just didn't understand. And I didn't even really understand how you like have a career as a musician, right? You, this is a thing you can do for a living. And it wasn't until, you know, my, my dad started coming to shows and like seeing what it was and kind of seeing the fans and being like, Oh, they know your music and they really like you. And I'm like, yeah. And then they're, he's like, oh, okay, I get it now. And I think it's for them, it was just that they didn't, as long as they knew that I had a sustainable career and was like, you know, not going to end up on the street. I think they, they then, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're totally supportive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. It takes a while for our Asian parents to sort of realize that this is a viable path because, you know, from their perspective, it's like they sacrificed so much for us to have a stable career. Right. They don't want yeah. to go back to a state of uncertainty like they did. And they're like, this is horrible. But you're like, this is the way I want to live life, you know? <laughs> and that was, that was one of the, I think one of the big sort of um, understandings that uh, I like that 
I, my parents came to where it was an understanding on both sides to where it was like, when I went on, when I quit to make music, it was like so uncertain and so difficult and so stressful. And it kind of made me realize like what that was like for them. Like they, they left everything they ever knew to go to a country across the world to start a new life. Right. And that was one of the big kind of understandings I came to my dad, like a lot of the pressure that he put on me early on to, you know, go to med school or whatever. It was because he was like, I didn't want you to have to go through what I did because it was so fucking hard. And it was like, I, I wanted to do this so you wouldn't have to. And so, and I was like, I totally understand and respect that, but like, I have your genes. So like, you know, <laughs> like you, you really have no one to blame but yourself. So, um, and I think it was kind of like a game recognized game, um, mm-hmm. sort of thing. That pull doesn't fall too away from the tree. Yeah. But, uh, this is a, this is a pretty big week coming up for you. Right. So at the time of this release, the podcast EDC is now this week and you're performing in the main stage. How, yes, does sir. That, how does that feel? And before we even get there, it's like, this is a really big week for you, Ashley. You have a couple of releases coming out. Can you speak about those and what's tell us more about that and, uh, and, in preparation yeah, for EDC this week too. Big week. My uh, debut studio album is coming out. It's called Heavy Glow. Um, it's my uh, first signed label release. I'm with uh, ADA Rising right now, which is super fucking exciting. Um, and then, so first studio album and then EDC main stage for the first time. Um, you know, it's one of those things where part of me is like just treating it like any other show. Cause if I really think about it too much, I'll be like, Oh fuck. But, um, yeah, it's just like a sort of culmination of, of everything that I've gone through in my career. And especially with the pandemic to have it finally happen and kind of be like, Oh, like, you know, there's a moment during the pandemic where I was like, I don't know if I'll ever be able to play shows again. And then to kind of have this like big moment come, it's like, it's still a little surreal. That is amazing. And, you know, we're so excited for all of the great news. And like Brian said, this is such a big week for you. And like we mentioned, you being officially signed on to 88 Rising, um, what is going through your mind at this time right now? And can you explain just like the process of it and, what you're currently feeling right now. I want to hear raw emotions, like unfiltered. <laughs> just do you feel free to use some profanity to describe your emotions, but you just want to capture it. I, this is, this might be disappointing, but honestly, if, if I've learned anything in the industry, it's, you have to keep an even keel. Um, I'm, you know, you gotta be very grateful. I'm so grateful for, you know, everything I've done that and all the help I've gotten to get to where I am. But you know, the, you, the, the music industry is so volatile and, you know, like great things will happen when you're at your lowest and you'll think you're, you're fucking crushing it and everything will come crashing down. And it's just, that's how it happens. And so like to preserve my sanity, I've had to just be like, you know, can't get too high. can't get too low. Um, of course I'm incredibly excited for everyone to hear the new music and see the new show and all of that. And that's all, all great things, but you know, I can't, uh, I've, I've ridden high before and had it crash down. So it is, you know, there's a, uh, I think for any of my 
peers who've been doing it for a long time, it's like a very similar thing. It's like, yeah, man, you just gotta, gotta stay in the moment. Um, be grateful and excited about what you're going to do, but you can't, don't put too much, don't put too many expectations on, uh, on, uh, something that hasn't happened yet. So. Yeah, that's a, I mean, thank you for your level header approach to this. I mean, it's a lot of us are, you know, ride the clouds too high or ride it too low. And, you know, it, it, it's the same thing entrepreneurship, right? You always don't know what's tomorrow. The landscape could totally change like the pandemic last year. Uh, so yeah. I really appreciate, appreciate that, that grounded mindset. And, you know, if you see someone wearing like a pink hat or blue hat at EDC stage, it might be me and Maggie, you know, it's cheering Let's you go. on and there somewhere. I may or may not have a shirt on depending on how cold it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sure, um, it's definitely optional at EDC. <laughs> yeah. So I, I know you touched upon this a little bit too, but keeping your mental sanity at an even state, right? Because there's, there's probably a lot of things that come in your direction. And like you said, like there's a lot of things that you can or cannot control, but how do you, how do you take care of your mental health, especially in the music industry, right? Because earlier you mentioned Avicii and, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of Avicii. I've been following him for a very long time and seeing his ups and downs with his mental health and physical health and everything. It's really heartbreaking. Right. And for me, when I look at you, you are extremely rising artists. Like I'm going to see you like a Vici level in the next few years. I'm pretty sure of that. How do you, how do you take care of yourself and your mental health and really take time for, for yourself and, and take care of everything? It's hard. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a journey and a process for everyone. Um, I think, uh, it's just like a lot of lessons learned throughout. Uh, it's almost just like a survival instinct. Um, you know, I've had several points in my career where, uh, I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And you, you just kind of learn to kind of roll with it. And especially during the pandemic, um, you know, that they're, for performers, it was like, this might be the end of the road, right? Like I, I was fortunate in that I was able to kind of hang on and hang on through, but you know, I had friends who had to sell houses, had to take out loans, had like quit entirely. Um, but you know, I think taking care of your physical health is really important. Um, you know, getting enough sleep. I, I after my first really big tour, you know, I was still like partying after shows and was still, you know, going out a lot. And I had like a complete breakdown. I was like, I can't fucking do this anymore. Um, so that's one I, I would say I started therapy and during the pandemic, which I highly recommend to everyone. Um, it's, you know, I think taking that time to invest in yourself and not thinking about it as a weakness, um, you know, everyone needs help. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's just a, a, a long process of learning to, you know, love yourself as corny as that sounds and have compassion and forgiveness for yourself. Um, I think, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's a journey. And I, I think, being an artist, I am particularly predisposed to emotional highs and lows. Um, but it's, you, you have to just remember why you're doing it and the, 
remembering the things that you love about it uh, outside of any sort of external factors. Um, Cause to me, ultimately it's about making the music and, and, and making music that means something to me and hoping that it means something to people who listen to it. Um, you know, with everything else that goes on, like you just got to hold that as your North star. Yeah. I love that. Um, and thank you for sharing. I think it's, you know, really courageous for you to even talk about therapy because I think therapy has such a big stigma, especially in the Asian culture, you know, and oftentimes we think that if you see a therapist, you need help, but I definitely agree with you. I think everyone should see a therapist because there's so many things that happen to us and situations that happen to us that we just can't comprehend or understand. And having someone help us, you know, peel down those layers to better understand ourselves, better understand how we can take care of ourselves to give more self-love, right? It makes all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think I'm doubly skeptical. I was doubly skeptical of therapy because I'm from the Midwest and I'm Asian, right? Mm -hmm. And part of me was like, well, you're so lucky. Like you've had, you have a great family, you have a career. Like, why do you like, you shouldn't feel bad. You shouldn't feel sad. Like what's wrong with you? Um, but you know, I, I think I'm, I'm glad that it's getting less stigmatized because it's, I think it's important. And, and the way I look at it is it's like a personal trainer for your mental health, right? Like some people might not need it, right? Like some people can take care of the bodies and they know, they know how to exercise without hurting themselves. But then if you don't, if you're not careful, you can really hurt yourself doing your own workout. Right. And to have someone, and especially if you've gone through trauma or you're going through like emotional tough times, like it's like you're injured. It's like your knee, like it's like you tore your ACL. Right. And you know, if you're not going with someone who knows, if you, if you don't know exactly what you're doing, like you might just have permanent damage in your leg. And, but to like actually work with someone, like you can actually heal and become a, you know, a happier and more, you know, fulfilled person. And I, I think it's, um, you know, absolutely shouldn't be something to be ashamed of. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, thank you for continuing to speak on, speak up on that. We tried to touch upon, touch upon like mental health a lot. Because at the end of the day, we're all human and we have different emotions. You can't just write hide all the time. We have our low moments and you can never understand or judge what people are going through because everyone has their own battles that they're facing, right? Um, and I guess the next question I have for you is your creative process. Like mm-hmm. you, we were listening to your music pretty much all morning long. So we're like, okay. Like, and it's something that we jam with. We listened to your news in the past before and we definitely noticed the change of your evolution as a person. So let's talk about your creative process, right? Like, how do you, how do you come up with the music that you do? And is there a particular feeling that you look for? Cause we talked to other artists. They're like, I'm looking for happiness. I'm looking for sorrow. I broke up my girlfriend again to get that emotion back. I'm like, okay, it's kind of, kind of extreme, <laughs> you know, but like for you, like what is your creative process like? Uh, it's changed over the years, but I, I think fundamentally it always, um, it, to me, it usually starts, it can start in different places, but usually it's away from the computer. Um, given that that's how I learned how to make music and learned how to write. And um, so I will get a seed of something from somewhere. It can be a line, a lyric that pops in my head. It can be a melody. Uh, sometimes it's like a, it's a, like a sound that I make, um, but it's just, it really is just a, kind of bottom up where you're like, Oh, this is kind of cool. What comes next? 
oh, okay, does this fit? Okay, they, this is cool. What comes next? And it's always this process of like, what comes, like, what would be cool? Um, and early on, it was a lot of like learning, like how do I, like learning the, the craft of it. Like I hear a sound in my head, but I don't know how to make it. Like, how do I do that? And so it was a lot of like twisting knobs and, you know, like just playing around with software to try to learn what the fuck you're doing. Um, but now like, as I longer, I've been doing it, I have a better grasp on like rough things that I know, I know like the rough path to get to where I want it to sound. Uh, it's really important to have that element of, I have no idea what I'm doing and you need that process of discovery. And so, you know, now it's kind of a point where on this, on the, on heavy glow, my album, I, they all started with sort of the song and the melody and the, and the lyrics. A lot of it was uh, started at the piano behind me. And when I write, it's pretty subconscious. I don't necessarily know what I'm writing about, but it's always this like, okay, what comes next? And then a lot of times I'll write a song and then I'll be like, I don't really know what this is about yet, but then it'll, you know, kind of reveal itself later, which is like the fucking magical part of songwriting. Um, and then after I have like sort of the soul of the song in my head, I'll uh, record some stuff on my computer and then start adding the production and just kind of keep going back and forth. And that's, it's always just like, okay, what's cool. Like, what, what do I need here? What do I want to hear here? What, do, what am I feeling here? And um, there's no, like, I've learned that you can't like force it into like, Oh, I want this to be a progressive house song. Like, Oh, I want this to be a banger. Oh, I want it to be this. Um, because once you do that, you're kind of just filling in the blanks and it always comes out kind of uninspired and stale. So it really is just like, a what's exciting to me right now? What's, what's interesting? What does this need? And just, uh, you know, you just keep following that until, uh, until you have to turn it in. <laughs> so amazing. Brian and I are probably the least musically talented people. So it's just amazing hearing your creative process when you're making music. And I love the fact that you say that you can't like put it into one bucket. You just have to kind of like let it flow, you know? Wait, so how much time does it take on average? Like, you know, to, for that whole process. Um, I know you can't really put it into like a timeline, but I'm just really curious, like on average, how long would that usually take? Uh, I take much longer than most producers. I think, um, if I can get a song done, start to finish in a month, that's very fast for me. Um, but I also work in parallel where I'll, where I'll work on different, you know, I'll work on the vocal to one song while I'm doing the product drums on another song and, uh, just to keep it fresh. But I'd say on average, it's like, six to eight weeks of like full-time work per song sometimes it can be faster i think the fastest i ever did something was like two weeks maybe um and then some songs take years um so it it really depends but it's um you know and i spend a lot of times on songs that don't end up becoming you know don't end up coming out so there's a lot of um it's hard to say but I started working on heavy glow probably in 2019. So, you know, took me like, you know, 18 months to, to get it all done. Probably. 
Yeah, that's awesome. So you, we know that you've played at small clubs and extremely big festivals like Beyond. And like we mentioned, you're about to play at the upcoming EDC. Is there one in particular between playing at small venues versus big festivals that you enjoy performing at and why? They're both just different animals. Um, playing at small, more intimate clubs is awesome because you can really feel the sort of uh, you can really make a personal connection with fans. Like you can really, you can see them, you can, you know, uh, you really feel that energy and you know, they're there for you, which is always, um, you know, is always very special. Um, festivals are, you know, they're incredible, right? Just the sheer sort of magnitude of it all. And like seeing everyone there, um, there is a sense that like, at the smaller venues, you're like, okay, I'm going to go and be me. And then at festivals, there's a little bit of a, I'm going to show these motherfuckers what I can do. Right. Cause they might not know who I am. Um, so the, the energy you bring into it is a little bit different, but they're both, they're like, you know, they're both, uh, they both have their own kind of character and, uh, you know, I love both of them. So. I love it. I love it. Um, I want to take this, this question a little, a little bit off tension and make it kind of fun. So tell us about a fun story about you being a rocker DJ on stage and having fans come up to you. Because one of visualizes like a crazy after party in the back. Like, hey guys, come to the back. Let's meet all the girls. Like, woo, hello, Fonte. <laughs> tell us a fun story. Uh, honestly, I'd, I'd have to go uh, um, pretty far back just because, you know, recently it's, when you're to- when you've toured as much as I have, like you learn to like preserve your body and like you don't really party anymore. Like it's um, most of the artists I know who have been doing it a long time. At some point, they're like, I just can't do this anymore. Um, but you know, there's just like cool, like cool random things that happen. Like you know, I would like you play a show and like. Waka Flocka shows up and then you're like hanging out with like Waka Flocka and smoking a blunt with them in, in the green room or whatever. Um, you know, uh, like I met a couple NFL players at a, after, like at an after party after a show or, you know, just like cool random, like for me, it's so much about the show now where it's like that, that's my moment. And like, I'm, I can't like, I, I can't be partying cause I'd have an early flight and I'm, you know, I'm just too old for this shit. But, um, no, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think the special thing for me is always when you're playing a lot, you can take it for granted, but then when you're bringing your friends and they're like going backstage for the first time, you're like, you're like, Oh, this actually is pretty cool. And you're not just like this, another fucking night. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. You're so I love I love this entire interview. You're so wholesome. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. <laughs> so uh, what, what are didn't your... used to be. I'm doing my best. <laughs> so I guess like what are, what are your goals like moving forward? Where do you where do you see yourself in the next year or two or five years? And where do you want to take your your partnership signing with you know 88 Rising and whatnot? That's gonna be great for your career. Like where do you see yourself and what are your goals in the next couple of years? I think I'm at a point where I don't really set or I, I don't really set concrete career goals anymore. Um, I think the pandemic was a big 
you know, wrench and a lot of people's plans to put it lightly. Um, but to me, it's just like the, my North stars, I just want to make better and better music, um, and get it out to as many people, um, as I can. And, you know, just want to make as big of an impact with people with the music and the art of it. Um, the industry is so fickle and so, you know, out of your control, you never know which way trends are going to go. You never know what's going to be popular a year from now, what song's going to take off. And when you're chasing that, it can be very, it, it can just be really tough, right? Because so much of it's out of your control. And so for me, it's just continuing to be a better artist, make cooler music videos, make better music, uh, be a better singer, be a better guitarist, um, be a better songwriter and just focus on the things I can control and, um, just create better art. Um, particularly for me, because I feel like, you know, the, I, the, the culture on the music industry always goes in cycles. And right now we're in this, we're in this cycle of where, everything is so micro like TikTok clip. Like you need the, you need the 10 second TikTok clip. You need the, uh, you need the, that like viral video. You need to grab a 10. Everyone's attention span is so short. Um, you need to make things memeable. And to me, that's not, I, I'm more of like a long form artist. I still care about albums. I still care about narratives and these longer form things. And it's just, um, staying true to that and finding art that I'm excited about making and uh, continuing to make it and get it out to people. Love that. Well, we're so excited for all of the upcoming things that you have in the next year. And I love that you focused on, you know, yourself, because when you really focus on bettering yourself and becoming a better person, it's, you know, the only person that you have to compete with is yourself to become better and better each year. And I love that you exemplified that. So we have, should we do a fun question? Yeah, we'll do a fun question. I mean, I, I mean, let's do a fun question. I'm asking you a question. So we watched your old YouTube videos from three or four years ago, and we always noticed your hair is constantly blonde, right? Mm -hmm. how, how did you keep up with that look? One day you woke up, I'm going to be blonde. I'm going to stay blonde forever. <laughs> and like, have you been recognized? What was the first, what was the first feeling like when you've been recognized at like a normal place where you're just getting boba or eating burrito and you're like, are you Elefante? Like, what was that moment like for you? And how'd you come up with the blonde hair concept? And if for you guys who are listening to the podcast, he's also wearing like a yellow-ish type of sweater to match his swag. So well, how do you come up with the whole look that you, that you have right now? Uh, again, there's no like master plan. Um, I was going on tour in 2017 and I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'm a DJ. Like I'm going to bleach my hair and just kind of did it. And then was like, Oh, this is, uh, uh my management at, at the time was like, they were kind of pissed. Cause they're like, bro, we just shot an out. We just did an album cover where you have black hair and like now no one recognizes you. I was like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but, uh, now it's just, it, it kind of started on a whim and then it, kind I was like, I'll keep it up for a while. And then now it's like, kind of like a, it just feels like part of who I am. And it like, I look at old pictures of me in black hair and I'm like, I don't even recognize, um, that person. So it really just started off kind of randomly on a whim and it kind of went from, and it's just kind of stuck around. Um, 
as for the recognizing thing, it's, uh, I mean, it's, I can't remember when it happened first, but it's definitely kind of a surreal thing. Um, it's, uh, it's good for your ego. That's for damn sure. Um, and it happened a lot more once I started bleaching my hair. So maybe that, maybe that's why I kept it. But, um, no, I think it's, it's always great. Um, you know, it's something like I appreciate when that, you know, fans want to say hi, it does get a little weird when you're like in an airport bathroom and like someone's trying to take a picture with you, then I'm like, I'm going to get out of the bathroom first. Like, um, but usually it's like, it's very chill and never like everyone I've talked to is by and large, like super nice. It's a, it's a great look, by the way. We like you a lot. Thank yeah, you. It looks really good. I have to get your, your hair care products and shampoo because you keep that, you, you keep that, that blonde in there so well. It's a lot of effort. <laughs> There's a lot of products. Um, <laughs> I bet. But, um, I have a, I have a great stylist in LA who like, um, comes every six weeks and just like gives me a fucking bunch of shit to it's like use this and this and this and then i'll i always forget to use something and it'll always yell at me it's like you got to use the balm and i'll be like all right i'm sorry i'll do better <laughs> that's hilarious okay well thank you so much elefante we just want to ask where can our listeners find out more about you and your music and how can they go online to like support your music and support you I'm on all the social medias. Uh, my handles are uh, I am the Elefante for Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, I'm just Elefante on TikTok. And, you know, all my music is out on all the DSPs, um, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, Deezer. Um, uh, you can find all my music there. And my new album, Heavy Glow, is coming out. It might be out by the time this, uh, this uh, podcast comes out, so... Uh, definitely look out for that. Awesome. Well, it was amazing having you on our podcast today, Tim. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thanks for having me. This was a blast. Thank you so much, Tim. We appreciate it. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much. This podcast was made with Descript. Descript is a groundbreaking new media tool that allows creators to edit audio and video like a text document and create a realistic clone of their own voice for seamless edits. Please check out our Patreon at Asian Hustle Network. We want Asian to continue being meaningful and give back to the Asian community. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to contribute to our feature, we hope you become a patron.